As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, you guys, you know how those who can't do teach? Well, those who can't investigate recommend the show Lisk Long Island Serial Killer. You guys have asked us so many times to cover this case, and we are obsessed with this show, and we feel like if you want to know all the ins and outs, you gotta listen. Lisk Long Island Serial Killer came out in March 2020, and host Chris Mass leaned on extensive never-before-heard interviews with family members, friends, police officers, journalists, and others to compassionately tell the story in a way it hadn't been told before. But now, you gotta get to season two, because in this season, Chris Mass picks up the thread right where he left off in season one, talking about a person of interest, and then he moves deeper into the investigation. He talks with preeminent criminologists, active law enforcement officials, renowned DNA experts, and of course, the family of the victims in an attempt to uncover the truth. Now, this series is both thoughtful and thought-provoking, and Chris examines the techniques and people that will most likely one day help solve the case. Look for Season 2 of Lisk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys. Hey. Uh, <laughs> what was that noise? I don't even hey. know. <laughs> I started to try to say hey, and then my voice broke. Hmm. And it was like my throat betrayed me. <laughs> like a little squeaky door. Yep, you were. Squeaky doored it. <laughs> All right, so we've got a doozy for you today. And before we do get to the case, as always, we do want to just let you guys know that, in case you didn't already know this, that we have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And we got some badass tears in it. I'm just going to say it. Well, hopefully not actual physical tears. Oh. Mm-mm. We need to clarify, yeah. Yeah, we have multiple tears, but no tears. 
see the difference there? It's really easy to see when someone's just saying the words and not having mm-hmm. them written out. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying it different. Tears and tears. See? See? It's so obvious. Yeah. But we've got levels that have some different benefits. And if you join at $10 or higher, you get three episodes a week. That's eight bonus episodes a month. Mm-hmm. And if the main feed episode is a two-parter, you get that second part instantly. Oh, and ad-free episodes all across the board. Yes. Darn. I know. Oh, what a savings. Yep. So, you know, it's not that much. It's like one good trip to Duncan or my husband's trip to Taco Bell because somehow he spends like a lot of money there when it's just Taco <laughs> Bell. You know what I mean? Like, No, I know because I watched Sugar and Spice last night and adorable James Marsden was working at a taco place and he was like, one bean burrito, <laughs> one taco chip, one. And he was like, they mean 13 things. And he was like, and that'll be 75 cents. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'm like, how did you spend $13? Like, how? Insane. He's like, give me three of everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there's that. Come hang out with us on Instagram or in our Facebook groups. We do live videos there every week too. So you could get potentially eight bonus episodes a month. And then two Facebook or Instagram lives a week. So that's eight of them bitches a a month, pretty much. You'll be so sick of us by the end of it. You won't even know what to do with yourself. Gall. Yeah. Yeah. If this is your first episode, you're probably already sick of us now. And you probably already turned (laughs) it off. But (laughs) like and subscribe. (laughs) 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 Okay. All right. So let us get to the case now. Yes. And we also want to thank Madison, of course, always and forever for writing the script on it. And we also want to thank Hannah Burke, Stephanie Cook, Rafferty, and JB for suggesting it. Yes. Hey, girls. Thanks. All right. So let's give an overview and then let's, uh, let's roll that beautiful bean footage. Yeah. So on November 3rd, 2018, a 40-year-old Tamla Horsford spent the evening and late night drinking with her girlfriends and celebrating one of the friend's birthdays at a home in Cumming, Georgia. Despite the night of good food, friends, and drinking, the party ultimately ended in tragedy. Early the next morning, Tamla, the only Black person at the party, was found lying face down in the backyard dead. The case was closed, and the mom of five's death was ruled a tragic accident. However, her friends and family believed that she was a victim of homicide. All right. So let's... uh talk about Tamla a little bit. Tamla Iana St. Jour was born on October 10th, 1978 in St. Vincent in the Grenadines, an island country in the Caribbean. She lived there with her family until 1989 when they moved to the Bronx. Tamla eventually relocated to Florida where she met Leander who went by Lee Horsford. Leander had been married once before and had a daughter from that marriage. Leander and Tamla married and had five sons together. Wow, that's, yeah, that's so, so many sons. And like, yeah, that's like oh, five boys. I cannot even imagine like how many farts are just in the air <laughs> at all times. And that's like your own personal soccer team or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a lot. Like get more, one more and we got subs. Right. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm laughing. <laughs> I don't 100% know. It's just like swapping off or something. But yeah, <laughs> I hear my husband say it. There isn't a lot of information available about Tamla's personal life, but during interviews, her friends and family described her as charismatic, loving, and caring. 
She was very involved with her son's schools and loved being a football mom. Her boys enjoyed playing sports and she loved supporting them. Often referred to by loved ones as Tam, Tamla was someone that you could always count on. She was just an all-around fun person to be around. At the time of her death, her youngest son was just four years old. Her husband said that if there were three things you needed to know about Tamla, these were it. One, she loved her family. Two, she loved life. And three, she loved you. She never met a stranger and always made everyone feel included. It's amazing. Yeah, those are the best people. It's like, I'm pretty introverted, especially in like social situations. I don't know. I just get really nervous if I don't know people, you know? Mm-hmm. And it like takes me a little while to kind of like warm up. So, you know, that's the person that like, like Tamla would be the person who like, if you're a little uncomfortable, she would be like, hey, come over here. And like, then you'd feel like, okay, I know somebody here now. Right. Absolutely. Mm. So sweet. So let's get into a little history on coming Georgia. Around 2012, the Horsefords moved to coming Georgia in Forsyth County. It's about 40 miles northeast of Atlanta. Forsyth County is a heavily white area with certain events in its history that were fueled by heavy racism. In 1912, Forsyth's white residents forced all 1,098 black residents out of the county with threats of violence and murder. After a white woman was murdered and another white woman was raped, it was rumored that the white residents forced the black residents out in order to protect the women. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Because actually, I don't know if you know this, it's actually scientifically impossible for white men to rape people. And murder them, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So ridiculous. Of course, that has been a theme throughout history, right? Like Mm -hmm. they make people of color the scapegoat. Mm -hmm. They're in the over-sexualization of people of color. Right, absolutely. It's so, ugh, it's infuriating. There were several public lynchings of black men in the town square where residents fired bullets into their corpses. Oh, my God. Right. Like, I mean, legit the definition of overkill, but how disrespectful. Why? Obviously, at that time, hopefully getting better, they thought of black people as subhuman. Mm -hmm. Not okay. Forsyth residents continued to enforce their borders as whites only well into the 1980s. In 1987, black and white allies held a civil rights march in Forsyth. The white residents responded by throwing rocks at them. (laughs) Pretty mature. Former resident of Forsyth said that many other communities in Atlanta attempted to force the black residents out of their towns, but Forsyth was uniquely successful. As of 2019, the county's black population was still very small, excuse me, at only 3.6%. Despite the history of Forsyth County, Tamla and her family were happy. They had wonderful neighbors and friends. The five and a half years that the Horsfords resided in coming were great until everything changed one night. I just, that's insane. Just all of it. Mm -hmm. I mean. It's hard to wrap your mind around because honestly, I mean, God, 1987, not that long ago. Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to say that because that's when I was born. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm still young. It's none of my business how many years exactly ago that was. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But that's just, it's, that's unspeakable. Like, it's unforgivable. It's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. On Saturday, November 3rd, 2018, a woman named Jean was having a party at her house on Woodlet Court in Cumming. It was her 45th birthday, and she decided that instead of going out to celebrate, she'd rather spend the evening at home with her girlfriends. That way they could drink and enjoy themselves. They wouldn't have to worry about, you know, getting home safely, Ubers, all that kind of stuff. 
Her friend Stacy had arranged an all-girls sleepover at Jean's house. In addition to celebrating Jean's birthday, the ladies were celebrating making it through another football season successfully with their children. Not all of the women were super close, but they were familiar with one another and friendly. In fact, many of them had been at a Halloween party the weekend before at Jean's house with their families, carving pumpkins, hanging out, you know, doing the, doing the Halloween thing. Mm-hmm. The party started between 6.30 and 7 p.m. In typical Tamla fashion, she had made sure that her family was taken care of before she headed to the party. She made them dinner and even made them breakfast, a breakfast casserole for in the morning. That is so sweet. I know. Once her children and husband were all settled, Tamla left for Jean's house, arriving between 8 and 8.30 p.m. Tamla was especially excited for the party. With five children, she didn't always have time to enjoy herself or spend time with other women. This has got to be a a mom once-in-a-lifetime event. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, five kids, an adult sleepover? Like, that's the dream. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Sounds very fun. Mm-hmm. She brought a bottle of her favorite tequila and showed up in her white onesie pajamas with black paw prints ready for a fun night. In the group of women there, Tamla was the only black person at the party. Around 10 p.m., Tamla called her husband to check in and make sure that the boys were doing okay. Lee said that his wife was in a good mood. She seemed to be having fun. You know, it doesn't, nothing seems out of the ordinary at this point. Mm -hmm. Certainly nothing to indicate what was going to happen. Around 12.30 p.m., she FaceTimed her stepdaughter to show her off to the ladies at the party as she was pregnant with Tamla's first grandchild. Her stepdaughter also said that Tamla was in a great mood. Nothing seemed off. It seemed like everyone was having a great time. The next morning, Sunday, November 4th, Madeline, Jean's aunt, who also lived in the basement there, woke up around 8.30 in the morning. She had turned her Bose sound machine on loud the prior night to drown out the noise from the party. She remembered laying in bed for a bit before getting up to start her coffee maker. She, you know, kind of had in her basement area there. As she passed by the window, though, she saw Tamla lying face down in the backyard. She still had her pajamas on. In a statement made later to the police, Madeline said that after seeing Tamla, she didn't start the coffee got on her knees, said a prayer, and then ran upstairs to the room where Jean and her boyfriend, Jose, were sleeping. Madeline said that she heard water running and thought maybe it was her niece taking a shower. She then went back downstairs and looked out the window again. Madeline said, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was saying inside my head, she's not moving, she's not moving. Madeline then went back upstairs, knocked on Jean's door louder. Jean told her to come in. So Madeline says she tells Jean that her, quote, friend from the islands was laying in the backyard and she wasn't moving. At 8.59 a.m., Jean had called 911. And we will talk about that call in a little bit here. There have been discrepancies in the reported time that 911 was called and the time that Tamil was found. This has been verified by authorities to be due to the daylight savings time that changed. Like, it was, the change happened that morning. Mm-hmm. So, of course, your cell phone is going to change automatically, but clocks around your house, you have to physically change them. Right. So, it looks like, in some cases, that there's an hour that goes by in between. Right, because it's the fall, so they fall mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. So, you gain an hour, and it would have been, if they thought it was eight, it was really seven. Right. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. But the police went over that. They said there was no lapse between Madeline's reported discovery and the call to 911. Again, just the time change. Jose said that they found Tamla laying face down on the ground in the backyard and that she wasn't breathing or moving. And he said that she was stiff. Corporal Miller from the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office was the first officer to arrive on scene at 9.07 a.m. He said that it was very obvious that Tamla was deceased when he arrived. He canceled EMS and the fire department who were also responding. I don't really feel like it's his place to cancel that. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like that ever happens. Like in any other case that we've covered, police will say, you know, I could tell there was nothing I could do to help her Mm -hmm. or him or, you know, whoever it is. They don't make that phone call. They just secure the scene and they still let them do their, what they got to do. Right. Yeah. That's not their place. Because you could get, you could call something wrong. Exactly. There could be a faint pulse and you don't know it. Right. Yeah. You're not trained to check for other things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, probably. Yeah, that's super weird. Yeah. Police directed the partygoers who were still there to stay in one room. Great. Um, You'd want them to be separately, but okay. (laughs) They contacted the remaining partygoers who had left before Tamla was found and asked them to come back. And probably were like, everybody get in the same room. Make sure you talk a whole bunch. Yeah, get your story straight before Mm -hmm. we question you. Okay. I guess I was being a bitch. They actually did separate those. (laughs) those people and kept them outside. So, all right. The crime scene was marked off and police began to process the scene and talk to the witnesses. Officers drove to the Horsford house to inform them that Tamla had been found deceased. Mm. So we're going to get into what the AG double hockey sticks actually happened. Well, we're going to try to. We're going to try. Yeah. Tamla's body was found face down in the grass in John's backyard. Her face wasn't turned to either side. It was pointed straight down into the grass. Her legs were straight out and down and her feet were pointed out. Her left arm was up and bent as though she were waving and her right arm was straight down by her side. There was an obvious injury to her right wrist with a small amount of blood coming from a laceration. There wasn't any other obvious blood or injury immediately noticeable. She reportedly had rigor mortis and lividity that confirmed she'd been laying in that position for several hours. From the front side, Jean's house showed two stories, the main level and the upstairs. From the back, though, it was on a slant. You know, the house was on a 
on a hill. So when you go to the backyard, you see three levels. There's the basement, which comes out right to the yard. Then the first level ends up being a balcony porch. And then you can see where the top level is. Mm -hmm. There were several chairs, tables, and fans on the porch level. And just outside of the basement was the ground patio with more chairs. The edge of Tamla's feet were approximately one foot, 10 inches from the edge of the bottom patio. She was pointed straight out from the patio with her head towards the backyard or towards the back of the yard, excuse me. The ground was just about 14 feet, 10 inches from the top of the railing on the main level porch. Once they concluded their investigation of the crime scene, they sent Tamla's body off to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, for further analysis and an autopsy. Tamla's family was understandably devastated and were even more heartbroken by the fact that they had no idea what happened to their bright, fun-loving mom and wife. The police who responded to the scene had a theory of what they believed happened to Tamla. They theorized that Tamla had tripped and fallen over the balcony and had a medical event. They did not elaborate any further. It's not much of a theory. Um, (laughs) Okay. They were like, well, she was here and then something happened and um, that's all I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that insight. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, she started here and now she's up there. Yeah, exactly. Investigators' next step was to find out who was at the party, what they saw, and the exact events that transpired leading up to Tamil's death. In addition to Jean, her boyfriend, Jose, and Jean's aunt, Madeline, the other attendees were Paula, Jennifer, Marcy, Sarah, Stacy, and her husband, Thomas, who... Okay, so there's more. Excuse me. God, there's so many people. Yeah. Michael, Nicole, and Bridget. It's a lot to keep up with. I can understand that. <laughs> right. And, and then... then. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. While some interviews were conducted at the police station, officers interviewed both Jean and Madeline at their home while other witnesses from the party were present or on the phone. Hmm. It doesn't seem like a super secure or professional Yeah, wouldn't you interview. just have them all come down to the station? Like, yeah. it's kind of weird that... I mean, you can get some some statements at the house. Yeah, but, but then not bring the them back and, interview. Yeah. Yeah. Jean told police that Stacy arranged the party and that most of the guests showed up between 6.30 and 7 p.m. and that Tamla arrived a bit later. Though they were supposed to have an all-girls night, Jean's boyfriend, Jose, said he wasn't feeling well and asked if he could, if he and Stacy's husband, Tom, could watch the football game in the basement. The girls stayed on the main level, watching the LSU versus Alabama football game, eating appetizers, and drinking. During the game's halftime, the boys came upstairs, saw there was food, and hung out with the girls. So they were eating and they were playing Cards Against Humanity. Am I the only one that pisses, that this pisses me off? What part of it? That the boys crashed it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, how often do they get a girls' night? How about not never? Well, but that's what men do. Oh, like, yeah. they go and do their own thing. They go buck wild. They go have a crazy time. I only get to go golfing with my buds like once a month. But then if they see women having fun without them, like, well, hey, 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 hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they're calling every five minutes. Where are the diapers? Where are the shoes? (laughs) Where do we keep toilet paper? It's funny. They were just jelly. They just wanted to come and hang out. They were. It's like, um, squeeze me. Your dude is ruining my night. Right. And it changes the whole dynamic of a girl's night when you have dudes there. Unless it's, you know what I mean. How are you going to bitch about them if they're there? Not even dudes. It's husbands or significant others. Like it just changes everything. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. The party began winding down around 1 a.m. 
Jean said that Tamla tried to convince everyone to stay up late, saying that she never got to spend time with just the girls. Apparently, she didn't get to that night either. But right. she said she was going to smoke a cigarette and that she'd be back inside afterwards. Jean said that Tamla had been drinking the tequila she brought all night. She said that Tamla drank almost the entire bottle. When she last saw Tamla around 1.30 a.m., she didn't seem to be extremely intoxicated. During Madeline's interview at Jean's home, Jean interrupted and told police that she brought them Dunkin' Donuts gift cards. The officers? Apparently. The officers told her that that was inappropriate and they couldn't accept them. At another point, she asked police if they were done with her so she could go get ready for, quote, unquote, this funeral, referring to Tamla's funeral. It was going to be that day? Yeah, like, you don't, I mean, unless this is like over the course of a couple days, but stop. Yeah. I have never, 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 never heard of anybody bringing fucking investigators gift cards. That's weird because that doesn't happen. Very weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of that. That's very weird. Mm Mm-mm. Sarah and Nicole were the first to leave the party, both around 10.30 p.m. Sarah said that the party had been the first night she'd met Tamla and that she'd been bubbly and excited throughout the night. She didn't recall too much about the night, saying that she'd had a few glasses of wine, watched football on the couch, then left. Nicole also met Tamla for the first time that evening. She said that the night was low-key and there wasn't any drama. She remembered that Tamla had been on the porch at some point smoking cigarettes. She recalled someone saying that Tamla had also smoked marijuana. Nicole left early because she had a dog at home that she had to take care of. The next person to leave was Bridget around 1.47 a.m., This is particularly important because it is around this time that the coroner listed Tamla's time of death. Bridget repeats multiple times that she is the mother hen of the group and that no matter how much she drank, she could always keep her faculties about her. This was Bridget's second time meeting Tamla. She'd first met her the prior weekend at John's pumpkin carving party. I don't know if there was a contest. I almost tried to say that there was. Yeah, if there wasn't, that's a missed opportunity. Exactly. I love to pass judgment on others for their carving skills. Yes. Bridget's interview gets very off track many times. She deflected questions and appeared very nervous by oversharing unnecessary information. I can kind of understand that. Maybe not deflecting, but you know how when you're nervous and you're like, oh my God, what did I just say? Mm-hmm. How much did I talk just then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I can kind of understand that, but deflecting is not okay. Bridget called her husband to come pick her up as everyone started to go to bed that night. She said that she and Tamla were the last ones up and in the kitchen while Bridget waited for her husband to come pick her up. Tamla ate a bowl of gumbo while the two chatted and waited. Sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. Finally, Bridget's husband arrived and Tamla walked her to the door, giving her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. Bridget said that she and Tamla were the only ones in the kitchen from 1.30 to 1.47 a.m. She said that Tamla wasn't stumbling or slurring her words and that she didn't seem drunk at all. Bridget continued elaborating, however, on how drunk that Jennifer, who goes by Jen, was. She said that when Tamla said goodbye to her, she told her that she was going to finish her gumbo, have another cigarette, and then go to bed. Finally, Bridget adds that she believed that Tamla walked back out around 1.55 a.m. and the door was never shut. When investigators asked how she knew that, she said that Jose had told her that he found an unlit cigarette and a lighter on the back porch prior to finding Tamla's body. He also said that there was a propane tank on the porch that she might have used as a step stool. Mm. At 4.10 a.m., Marcy left. She'd spent most of the night at Jean's house. Like many of the women, it was her first time meeting Tamla that night. Around 12.30 to 12.45 a.m., she and Jen put a movie on in the guest bedroom, watched it for a little bit, and then fell asleep. She set her alarm to wake up for work the next morning and didn't notice anything abnormal. 
At 7.45 a.m., Paula left. She said that everything seemed normal at the party. She had met Tamla once or twice at a football game before the party, but wasn't very familiar with her. She said that Tamla was very engaging and in a great mood, dancing with everybody. Paula said that she was the first to go to bed in the up- bedroom upstairs. She last remembered texting Stacy around 1.45 a.m. that she was in the room by her, but didn't get a response, so she assumed she was already asleep. She woke up and left, not noticing anything out of the ordinary, but recalled that she did see Stacy and Tamla's phone right next to each other in the living room. At 8.30 a.m., Tom and Stacy left just 15 minutes before Tamla's body was found. She said that she and Tom went to bed around 1.30 a.m., despite that Tamla wanted her to stay up and hang out. She said that she told her that she was going to go outside, have one more cigarette, then go to bed. Tamla was sad that Tom insisted that his wife sleep with him instead of letting her share a bed with Tamla. Stacy left their phones downstairs together and told Tamla that at least their phones could sleep together. Not the same, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Me like, you know what? I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. What if our phones sleep together? So <laughs> no, it'll be just phone? like we're laying next to each other, like having girl talk, but it's our phones. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> no. Something better would have been to each have a walkie-talkie, maybe, in your own separate bedrooms, because then you actually could talk to each other, but no. Yeah, but you can't, because Tom, how would he get any sleep, Tori? No, it's true. He's not even supposed to be there, but I whatever. I know. This is all about Tom. It's not his <laughs> sleepover. <laughs> she and Tom woke up around 8 a.m. and was glad. She said she was glad to see that Tamla's car was still out front. She said that Tamla had driven home from Stacy's house once before after a few glasses of wine, and she didn't want her to do it again. They didn't notice anything out of the ordinary and left Sean's home. So how did they leave? It seemed like everybody else saw it. I have no idea. Like, I haven't seen pictures of the house, but if everybody parked in the front, they're all leaving from the first floor, which if you looked outside in the backyard, I'm guessing the way that it dips down so much, you wouldn't have seen it. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Because there's, it's a 14-foot, or I mean, let's say, I don't know, a 10-foot drop from the bottom of the, like the floor to the ground. Right, yeah. And if she was found just over the ledge, there's no way you would have seen her. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so let's get to the 911 call. After discovering Tamla's body, Jean called 911. She told the dispatcher that she'd had people over the night prior. Everyone was drinking. One person stayed out on the balcony drinking. She said when they went outside this morning, she found one of her guests laying face down in the backyard. She told the dispatcher that she guessed that she may have fallen off the balcony and she didn't know if she was breathing. After this, Sean's boyfriend, Jose, got on the phone. Jose, at the time, was a pretrial officer at the local courthouse. He identified himself and told the dispatcher that the woman wasn't moving one bit and she was not breathing. And that she was stiff. At some point, he told her that he could see a cut on her right wrist. The dispatcher asked if he knew if she was suicidal at all. And he was like, I have no clue. I mean, he's like, I've only met her one other time. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know anything about her. Right. He said that she was the last one in the kitchen after the party. And he wasn't sure if she was like waiting for a ride at that point or if she was going to go ahead and stay the night. He said that he last saw her around 1 a.m. when she was in the kitchen before he went to bed. He said it was hard to tell if she fell from the balcony or if she was already down on the ground. He told her that his girlfriend has cameras on the deck, which would have caught the incident if she'd fallen. He also said that she was the only smoker there and reiterated this multiple times. Jose reportedly fell. Mm-mm. Jose reportedly felt her back to see if she was breathing and tried to move her leg, but found that her body was in rigor. Mm. He like. He does seem to check her friend, Jean. Just keep saying, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if she's breathing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. I don't know. Again, you don't know what you do in a situation, but it seems like you'd bend down and try to help your friend. But I can understand if she is breathing, you need to perform CPR. You need to start those life-saving techniques, right? If she's not breathing, then it's possibly a homicide, like a crime scene. So we need to not touch anything. Right. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Always. It's never a mannequin. It's always a crime scene. Yeah, exactly. Just to be on the safe side. Yeah. The autopsy results came back on November 6th and disproved police's theory of death from a medical event. Whatever the hell that means. Tamla had several superficial abrasions to her face, along with a subdural hemorrhage to the right cerebral hemisphere of her brain. 
She was also found to have had a fracture on her second cervical vertebrae. Pamela had a laceration on the right ventricle of her heart, which allowed bleeding into the sac surrounding the heart. Her right wrist was dislocated with a small laceration on the inside of the wrist. There were also other scattered superficial abrasions on her extremities. She was found to have had a small amount of THC in her system along with a blood alcohol content of 0.238, almost three times the legal driving limit, and a small amount of alprazolam, Mm -hmm. a generic version of Xanax. Okay. I looked up blood alcohol content and this, I feel like this kind of gives you a really good look. So this website has ranges and it goes by like 0.00 to 0.03, 0.04 to 0.06. So it goes up from there. Mm -hmm. So it starts with, you know, 0.00 to 0.03 slight euphoria. The next level up is relaxed feeling, lower inhibition, minor impairment of reasoning and memory, less cautious. And these are both green. Then you've got yellow, where you get into impaired balance, speech, judgment, reasoning, reaction time. And that's that's at the legal driving limit. That goes up to 0.09. So then you start getting more impairment of your coordination, judgment, slurred speech, blurred vision. You could black out at 0.16 to 0.9 nausea, higher anxiety, sloppy drunk could pass out. Then you have the red. You've got 0.20 to 0.24, disorientation, need help to stand or walk, vomiting and blackouts likely. 0.25 to 0.29, so this is where she was, right? Or was she No, she's Mm 0.23. Okay, so the next level up is severe impairment of mental, physical, and sensory function, risk of serious injury likely to pass out. So if you're blacking out and vomiting is likely, you need help to stand and walk. You're very disoriented. I mean, that just, that puts you in the level of, I could fall, you know, I could just for like a point of reference, it was really helpful for me to see like, because if you just hear a blood alcohol level, like I can't just look at something and be like, oh, okay, well, that's really bad or, you know, like, right. Okay. I know it's three times the legal limit almost, but what does that mean? You Mm -hmm. know? So I feel like Let's see, from nothing to that one is one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six levels before you get to where she was, essentially. Yeah. So that's a lot. And also, if you're mixing that with weed and a Xanax. And a Xanax, yeah. That's a lot on your nervous system. Mm -hmm. The medical examiner said that Tamla's injuries were consistent with the fall. He ruled the cause of her death as multiple blunt force injuries and the manner of her death was accidental. There were no photos taken during her autopsy. What in the world would be the reason for that? No idea. There's no reason for it. (laughs) No, unless they were just so, but even so, like even if, even if it is ruled as accidental, when you do an autopsy, you take photos. Well, because that's like, that is your receipts. Mm -hmm. for everything. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's commonplace in autopsies. You're supposed to have those receipts. Yeah. I don't know. That's very strange to me. Yes. Several things were concerning about Tamla's autopsy findings. A fracture of the C2 vertebrae is commonly known as the hangman's fracture due to it being commonly found in hanging victims. It's caused by a sudden snap of the head up and back. Though common in hangings, it's also seen in car accidents and falls. 
Many times, the injury is fatal. Hmm. Despite how high Tamla's blood alcohol content was, every single partygoer reported that she did not seem overly intoxicated. Some of them said that they recalled her smoking marijuana and that she was the only one who smoked it that night. Also, Tamla did not have a prescription for Xanax, nor was she known to take the medication recreationally. The police did not test the tequila bottle that Tamla had been drinking out of for traces of Xanax. They also never collected cigarette butts from the scene to determine who was smoking. Jean was adamant about telling investigators that she had the alerts on her phone that recorded when doors in her home were open and closed. Based on her system, the back door that led to the porch was open at 1.49 a.m., just after Bridget left out of the front door, then closed at 1.50. The back door opened again at 1.57 a.m. and never closed. Jean also said that they should have camera footage from the cameras around the outside of the house. However, when she sent the files to police, there was no footage from the night of the party or the few days surrounding it. In an email to police, she told them that she must have accidentally deleted it or that the battery had died. She gave police her username and password and told them that they could try to recover the files. <sighs> this is very suspicious and also incredibly convenient. Yeah, it's like, look, I expect that if you own a business and you have security camera, it's not going to work. Right. I don't have I like any how hope. you said security camera. Mm-hmm. There's only one ever. Yeah. And it doesn't work. No. That day. It's a lot of times, I'm convinced, just made out of cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, put something up here that kind of looks like a camera and be like, yeah, 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 yeah whatever. It's a camera. <laughs> but like, you know, I've just, I've gotten to the point where a business who, it's not like they're required to have them, but it's like, why do you have it if it, is it just to make people think you can check up on them or whatever? I don't know. Right. But I, I, I'm not even asking. I'm not even asking for all those to work. I know that's a pipe dream. But if you have cameras that you use at your house, like we have a security system here, but I don't have like I didn't buy a bunch of cameras for it. So I don't have them, you know, hooked up and whatever. But if I bought the cameras and the surveillance and all that, wouldn't you use them? Yeah, wouldn't you make sure it's working? If it's not working, then what the fuck is the the point? point? Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I have no idea. And it's just, it is super suspicious that everything else is accounted for except for the day that it happened and then the few days before, a few days after. Right. Everything else is there. Like, it just does not make any sense. Kurt, Tamla's father, quickly made an appointment with investigators to discuss inconsistencies he found in his daughter's death. He said that the partygoer stories didn't make sense and didn't sound like his daughter. That November night, the temperature was around 35 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Tamla was from the Caribbean and was used to warm weather. She got cold easily, same. Mm -hmm. And her father felt it was very strange that she would have gone outside without shoes or a jacket. Even though Tamla was intoxicated, Kurt felt that something was wrong. I feel like in this episode, I kind of want to do like, because, you know, we've listened to, to some cases where like the detectives will be like, okay, well, you went into this thinking that like this person did it. So I'm going to try to find the evidence that they didn't or I went into it thinking they didn't do it. So let's try to find the evidence that they, you know, like. Right. Whatever you it is, the, the other opposite. side or yeah, yeah, whatever. So like, I'm trying to do that more when I look into cases like, okay, let me see both sides, you know, like let me play devil's advocate like both ways. She is used to warmer weather. Mm-hmm. And I get that you wouldn't want to go outside if it's super cold. But I also don't like to be cold. And there is a time on spring break that we got a bunch of snow. 
And I was doing Jager bombs, Jager bombs, Jager bombs <laughs> all over the place. And I went outside barefoot, no jacket. It it snowed so it snowed like a foot that night. I went outside, no shoes, no socks, no jacket. I made fucking snow angels in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And then I ran in and slipped on the tile floor and, and moved my tailbone out of place. Yeah. Broke, yeah. broke her cockix. <laughs> yeah. But, and like right after it happened, I was like, ah, and the next day I was like, oh my God, it happened. But like, I never would walk in the snow barefoot. No, this is someone, Torella, has, I've walked in on her whenever we used to li- all live together, that she would be on the couch sitting up asleep in her coat. I think she had a scarf on. <laughs> Choose everything. She's like as cozy and covered up as humanly possible. Yeah. All of the time. All of the time. Yep. So I feel like, like I understand it's possible. Yeah, she wouldn't. That's not what she would normally do. But I think you do have to take this intoxication into account because that does change some of our, you know, okay, I wouldn't normally do this. I wouldn't normally stand outside in the rain, but if I'm drunk enough, I might go out there and dance in it. You know, right. like, yeah, there's just well, your inhibitions and your decision-making skills. Not great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. The railing on the porch was measured to be just over three foot tall. Tamla was five, five. It seems odd that if she fell over the railing, she would land the way that she was found. John was insistent that when she first saw Tamla's body, both of her arms were down by her side, which contradicts what police found upon their arrival. They recorded her left arm being up and bent. John said that she was positive that her arms were down because she recalled thinking how strange it was for someone who'd fallen to land like that. No one has ever admitted to moving the body. Police on scene also said that they had to lean pretty far over the railing before they started to feel unsteady. There was no vomit found on the ground, which means that Tamla wasn't likely leaning over the balcony to vomit. It also has been noted that it was odd that Tamla's face was straight down in the ground, particularly because there was no damage to the facial bones or injuries noted inside of her mouth or her nose. That's really weird, though. Well, yeah, because your nose is the thing that protrudes from your face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you land on your face 14 feet down. To the hard ground because it's winter time. Yeah, you're going to break your nose. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like like powdery snow or something, you know? Right. I have no idea how that's even possible because I've broken my nose twice and it wasn't that difficult to do. No, I mean, you just look at Tori's nose, it'll break. Don't look at me. I'm like Christina Aguilera, don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there are some, I mean, 100%, there are some questionable things going on here. Stacy, Tom, and Bridget all said that at some point during the party, Tamla had said that she wanted to drive herself home. Though she ultimately didn't end up driving home, Tamla's friends and family wonder what caused her to go to want to go home that night. Was it just a drunken thought, wanting to sleep in her own bed, or had something happened? There were also reportedly two types of cigarettes found on the back porch and two lighters, however, neither were tested. There is conflicting information about whether Tamla was a smoker. Many of the partygoers repeat the fact multiple times that Tamla was the only smoker at the party and went out on the porch to smoke frequently. There's also information that states Tamla was not a smoker. Well, okay. I don't know. I see that two ways. There's a lot of people who aren't smokers, but are smokers when they go to a party. Absolutely. I've been there, done that. Yeah. My husband is not a smoker, but when he's drunk, he's bumming cigarettes off somebody. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've smoked an entire pack of cigarettes in one night before. 
Yeah. But the thing is, okay, so where did you get those cigarettes, though? Did you bring them with you in anticipation? I mean, I've done it. Okay. So, yeah, because if she's not a smoker, normally, you know, did she have, does she have cigarettes with her that she just brings if she goes out? Well, I mean, because she knew she was going to be drinking, clearly. This was right. a, yeah, and she brought the tequila, so she knew. Yeah. She could have easily done it because, like I said, I've done it. And I've got friends that have done it. Yeah, I just feel like, why is that such a, either she was or she wasn't? Like, I don't know. Either either she had cigarettes with her or she didn't. Or somebody else needs to say they were my cigarettes, but she asked to use them. Like, Right, because I feel like there are some people, like myself included, sometimes if I'm drinking, it's like, do you smoke or do you not smoke? And the answer is yes. Right, yeah. The only times I've ever smoked cigarettes are when I've been hammered drunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even have to be hammered drunk sometimes. It's like, well, it kind of goes well together for whatever reason. I mean, it could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, like, yeah, we're not smokers, but we have smoked when we were drinking. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's totally out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's totally unusual. I don't either. I don't know why this is such a point of like, I don't know, contention's not the right word, but such a sticking spot for them where they're like, well, but, and mm-hmm. I know it's just the family and the friends that are thinking this. I think, of course, they want to get to the bottom of it. I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. I just don't see such a big problem with this specific, quote unquote, inconsistency. Yeah. I mean, would they also say she normally drank a whole bottle of tequila? Right. You know, probably not. So if you're if you're like, well, I'm friends with her and we go out and have, you know, a drink with dinner and she doesn't smoke then, well, yeah, she probably doesn't. But this time was this seems like a very specific a heavier drinking party. Yeah, a special case scenario. Yeah. So, you know, even if you know her and you're like, well, she's not normally a smoker, like, you know, sometimes people will do things, you know, differently when they're like, all right, this is like my all out, like, go wild yeah. party. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you've got, that could go either way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not here to say whether or not what the actual definitive answer is. I just could see it. I could see it both ways. And I do think that it was kind of strange. I don't love when police officers go to a crime scene or to a scene and they automatically say it was an accident or they automatically say it was a homicide. Right. You got to do your due due diligence. You have to make sure that what you're saying, you have to check it. You have to have checks and balances with it. So Mm -hmm. you have to test things. You have to ask the questions. You have to perform the investigation Correctly. Otherwise, you're just going to come up with bupkis. Yeah. And then you just, you leave so much room for, well, is this a cover up? Is this the, you know, did they get it wrong? Did they, are they trying to, you know, there's just so many things. Like, don't fucking leave the room for the questions. Do your due diligence. That's all you're, that's all you're supposed to do. And the thing is, even if you can have an airtight case, people still believe that they're like, well, but what about this? And were they covering this up? So you already have that room for that. Let's not make that huge. Yeah, exactly. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. In mid-December, one of Tamla's good friends, Michelle, began to make it publicly known how concerned she was with her friend's death and the investigation. Michelle publicly posted things to her Facebook page, which reportedly included the names of other partygoers. Soon after, Michelle filed a police report believing that Jose had accessed her private information at his job and given her personal information to the partygoers. The sheriff's office alerted Jose's superiors where he was put on leave pending an investigation. On the 20th, he was fired from his job, citing that they had lost confidence in his work. It was found that on November 7th, just days after Tamla's death, he accessed her incident report and again on November 20th. Though this was public information, it was still considered inappropriate given his involvement in the case. On November 28th, he accessed information regarding a restraining order that Jean possibly had against Michelle. In February, Michelle completed a nine-page statement about the incident with Jose, and finally, the media began paying attention to the entire case. A month after the media picked up the case and began to run with it, police closed the case, calling Tamla's death an accident. On February 20th, 2019, Major Joe Perkins with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Department held a press conference where he announced that the case was closed and that there was no evidence of foul play. They alerted Tamla's family just an hour prior to the press conference that they were closing the case. It was later found that Corporal Mike Christian, who was heavily involved in the interviews of witnesses in the investigation, leaked sensitive information and crime scene photos, including photos of Tamla's body to two women. Both women believe he was doing this as a way to keep them interested in him. Hmm. That is disgusting. Yeah. Like a gross oh, misuse of your yeah, and like you're not sure if you want to date me anymore. How about um pictures of dead people? That's Mm-mm. awful. Wow. I hope those women immediately were like, "You're gross." Yeah, completely uninterested in you. Thank you very much. Yeah. In December of 2020, Jean posted a photo to her Facebook of her and three other women wearing Dunkin' Donuts face masks with the captions, the best masks ever. And then, okay, I didn't know this. Thank you, Madison. Hashtag IYKYK, which means if you know, you know. This is believed to be referencing her attempt to give investigators the Dunkin' Donuts gift cards. Hmm. But we don't... We don't know that. We don't know that. That's just what people... Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can see there are parallels. There are obviously Dunkin' Donuts, yeah, oh, yeah, Dunkin Donuts but yeah. we don't know that. Yeah. 
In 2020, the case was reportedly reopened due to public outcry. However, there's not really any information out like that's updated, no further investigation. The Horsford family attorney wrote the following letter to Tamla's husband after his investigation into her death. Dear Leander, two weeks ago, we finished the exhaustive review of the records related to the investigation into the death of Tamla. I'm glad we had an opportunity to conference today with the rest of the immediate family. Hopefully by Tuesday, I'll have a more detailed analysis for you. But today, I want to repeat some of what I told you. The review reflects that homicide is a strong possibility. Witness statements are in conflict. A potential subject handled the body as well as the evidence prior to law enforcement arrival. Evidence was disposed of and no inquiry followed. The scene was not preserved. Evidence was inappropriately handled. The investigation was compromised by unauthorized access and disclosure to potential targets and witnesses. A remarkable fact is that there were no photographs taken during the autopsy of Tamla's body. This had to have been done at someone's directive because such a practice is unheard of. Let us address one issue as a sample in reverse order from the above. It appears Tamla was involved in a struggle. There were abrasions noted consistent with that scenario. There were parallel scratches to one arm. Since they were fresh, photos would have proven recent use of defensive force. But having no photos is to our detriment. There was one x-ray, yet the injury noted as the cause of death appears nowhere. Getting the records has been another monumental task, to say the least. I could go on and will in a few days. Forsyth County Sheriff's Office employees have been the subject of much criticism. The case agent was a close friend of a subject who turned out to be the leak of the ongoing investigation. The town of Cumming has a history which raises eyebrows. After conducting my extensive review, I have come to the conclusion that the truth never had a chance here. Let me conclude by telling you that my years of experience lead me to believe that 80% of the cases where African Americans die under mysterious circumstances end up closed or cold because there are no videos and the only witnesses are bad guys or good guys that deep down are really bad. Then you have cases where law enforcement does a poor job and cares little to investigate thoroughly because of some connection or association with the perpetrators. Take the Ahmad Arbery slaying recently. Without the video surfacing in the media, there never would have been an arrest in that cozy relationship between the perpetrators, prosecutors, and investigators. A rookie lawyer that gets a video in a wrongful death case where a stop car is rear-ended by a speeding semi will win each time. A video of someone walking up to a bank teller, face uncovered, and firing a gun at point blank will most certainly lead to a conviction, but those facts are not what we're dealing with here. Here we're fighting the uphill battle because those who wear the badges and were entrusted with the investigatory task failed you. But this is not over. It will never be over. Be safe. Be strong. We will get to the bottom of this. That's discouraging, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. I honestly don't know what to say about it. I know. Because the thing is, what the attorney says here is so true. By this point, I don't know that we'll ever know. Right. So you just can't go back. You can't go back and redo the investigation. So like, I just... That's fucking 101 shit. Like, why is everybody not treating every case like it's going to go to court? 
-hmm. If you treat every case like you're going to have to testify on the witness stand about how you handled it, then you will do your job every time. Mm -hmm. Like, why is that so much to ask? That's your job. Well, yeah, absolutely. And let's take race out of it completely. I don't know if that's, if that's the, you know, I, I don't know, but it's sloppy and it's lazy. Like, do better. Yeah. And if you've got a racial component to it where it's like, well, who cares? How is that justice? How is that fair? Yeah, then you need a new job. Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, and it's a lot more prevalent in the South still, people think that they're doing right by not giving anyone a chance if they're a person of color. Right. Which just does not, just does not compute. No. It's not right and it's not okay. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. So I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's some things that like you take, you know, if we, if we, you know, go back through some of the stuff, if you take the fact that her blood alcohol level was so high and she also had Xanax and marijuana in her system, Mm -hmm. that just impairs you further. So -hmm. if we look at maybe that level that she was at, you know, you could probably ratchet that up to the next level, which says significant injury is very likely because you're, you are likely to fall down, black out, whatever yeah, it I mean, is. You're more than impaired at that point. Yeah. To me, she was drunk enough that she probably could have been walking and not even realized the balcony was there and just like, just kept walking, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying like, blood alcohol wise, there's a lot of stuff that could have happened. She could have, you know, missed a step and whatever, you know, all the... You never know. Uh, you, I mean, when you're that drunk, you might say, I'm going to sit on, you know, the edge of the balcony or whatever. I'm just going to sit up here. And, you know, like, I don't know. There's just so many things that can happen because you're not thinking properly. Mm-hmm. But then you also have the fact that she was face down and there was nothing broken. Mm-hmm. That seems unlikely to me. There have been suggestions that the body had been moved. Mm -hmm. I mean, could it have been flipped over? But then we've got to have, I mean, who, who flipped her over? Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of questions. If this was a homicide though, what would the motive be? I have no idea. You know, I don't know. I don't see a clearing motive. Yeah. I don't know why somebody would want to kill her at this party. It doesn't seem like anybody would be like, let's just kill somebody here. I don't know. That just seems like we're just moms trying to have a fun night. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's not a motive that we don't know about. I'm just saying like, you know, that's one of the things it's like, okay, well, you know, that's something you have to think about. What was the motive? I think people had the opportunity, you know, if somebody didn't go to bed when they say they did or whatever, like, you know, there's time that she would have been by herself or something like that or not a bunch of other people around. So I think you've got the opportunity if you're just like pushing her over and she's not that hard to push over because she's, you know, kind of off her balance. Then you've got the means because we don't, we don't know that any type of weapon was used or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, the motive is a hard piece to fit right here. You know, was anything stolen? Was anything, you know, did she have a complaint against somebody at school? Did one of her kids have a complaint against one of their kids? You know, like, is there something somewhere that we can tie back to? I don't know. I've never heard anything. I don't know whether or not you can. Mm -hmm. But no pictures at an autopsy? 
Yeah, that's really concerning. That yeah. should never happen. That's disturbing. What would the reason ever be to not take photos during an autopsy? I have no idea. Yeah. It's not even like they took them and then they lost them even. Right. I mean, and you would think the pictures protect you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's your receipts. Like, yeah. So why would we not take the pictures? I don't know. And there's, it's definitely, I mean, I'm not a medical examiner, obviously, and I haven't gone to a medical examiner protocol school, but I feel very confident that that is protocol. You always take photos. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any here. That's very strange. Very, yeah. Ugh, I don't know. I I feel like with as much evidence as there is, you know, definitive evidence one way or the other, we don't know. I don't feel, I feel like it would be irresponsible to say one way or the other. I think it's an right. accident. I think it was homicide. I don't think that we can say one way or the other. No, I don't either. I think that the way that the investigation was handled shot us in the foot, shot everybody in the foot. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there are reasons why we can't say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. There are inconsistencies. There are things that need to have a closer look, you know, taken. But again, the way that they handled everything, I don't think they will. And I know I've quoted this before. There's something... um, it's Justin and Generation Y. He, he said it several times, but he says, you know, there's not really much of a need a lot of times to jump to a police cover-up or conspiracy when incompetence is so prevalent. Yeah. Like, you want to think that police officers know what they're doing you know, because we have seen, you know, CSI and all the things and everybody does it the way they're supposed to every time, right? They catch everybody. But that's not the way that it is. People show up. They do not take their job as seriously as they should. They cut corners, you know. I mean, it very well could have been that they just, the police officers that were on scene said, looks like an accidental fall. And that just dictated everything else they did from there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay as much attention. It was an accident. Yeah. And then I'm thinking about the Christian Andriacchio case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a suicide. What did they say with Kurt Cobain's yeah. photos after? Why do we not have photos? We don't take photos of suicides. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens so often and mm-hmm. it's really, really sad. Yeah. But at the point where the photos need to be taken is not the point where you've decided whether or not it's a suicide. So you take the photos. Well, I mean, my God, this whole thing, it wasn't done following protocol, in my opinion, because the first responding police officer was like, cancel everything. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just do it correctly. Yeah, what would be, and that could be another, you know, that could be, could be something nefarious or it could just be, I'm fucking lazy and I didn't want to have to deal with the paperwork that comes with all these people coming out here. So I canceled them. Right. I mean, again, we just don't know. Mm-hmm. But it is unfortunate that there are this many incompetent investigations out there because we lose everything. Yeah, we just have to rely on people to do the right thing. And that's not all the time human nature. Exactly. Yeah. I just don't get it because that is such an important job. And you'd think that like people who get into this type of job, like it's got to be important to you, right? Like you're, I'm sure there are a lot of people that, Start out that way, at least. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And is it just, you know, you're jaded over the years or what is it? But it's like, take that shit seriously. There's so mm-hmm. many repercussions. These are families. These are people. These are, you know, if this is a homicide, she deserves justice. Absolutely. Her boys deserve justice. Her new grandbaby deserves justice. You know, like, mm-hmm. there's all these people that their lives are forever changed. Five little boys that don't have their mom. Mm-hmm. Her husband that has to raise these five children all by himself. Yeah. And if it is, in fact, an accident, then doing the investigation the way it should have been done removes all the questions. So they now they're going through a life sentence of wondering. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be able to know because we didn't fucking take any pictures. We didn't do anything we were supposed to. We didn't collect any fucking evidence. Right. That's just... It's unfair at the very least. Yeah, it's very unfair. It's ridiculous. It just, this is not something that should ever happen. It should never be at the the fault of the police department or the investigating body that all the evidence is gone because they squandered it, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, that's the case. Yeah. Let us know, though, what you think. Yeah, definitely let us know. And, you know, we just want to put this out there. We only have respectful conversations with one another. You can be of differing opinions all day long. We love that. We love to see, you know, because a lot of times somebody will say something and I'll be like, oh my God, I didn't think about that, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. But if we start seeing people being hateful to each other, then we'll have to stop it. Yeah. And that's not something that we want to do. We want to encourage these kinds of yeah. conversations. Yeah. Healthy conversations. Because There's just so many things that like, you know, Everybody are out there. And, yeah. yeah, for sure. So yeah, we'd love to see what you guys think. Yeah. Because right now it's just like, it just is so hard. You just, we just lost so much. I just, mm-hmm. so angry. Absolutely. But thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 